This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 151 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, if you've been paying any attention to hobby social media this week, you probably figured out that this was a week full of scams. And I'm not going to try and cover any of these in real detail. Um, I think a quick recap will do at this point. But uh, we had Logan Paul and Steve Hart opening a $3.5 million Pokemon case and hoping to catch them all. And they did. They got Snake Eyes, Cobra Commander, Duke, and Lady J to name a few. And now don't feel too bad for Logan though. He gets internet marketing and he'll make a ton from this before everything's over. Um, We had breakers in crop tops that refused to give a $20,000 card to its rightful owner and then tried to save face by giving it to charity and reaping the benefits of a tax write-off at the same time. You know, I complained about shirtless breakers on whatnot in the past. I suppose half a shirt is considered progress. And we had video of people getting DDT'd at the Dallas card show and whatever possible scams that led up to that one. Um, I think the facts about that incident are out there by now, but they're scattered. And then I posted about some new RPA shenanigans that I think kind of flew under the radar. I'm still working on the details, but it appears as if someone is photoshopping real copies of popular RPAs and trying to sell the fake version on eBay. Someone bought the Zion for something like $30,000. It makes me wonder if they'll just get an empty envelope in the mail. And then why didn't they tell anyone? Lots of questions there still. I posted about that one on social media with whatever info I had at the time. A number of different people weighed in. And one of the comments said, this is why you don't buy $30,000 raw cards on eBay. Um, Another one said, this is why you buy big cards on golden auctions. Oops, uh, sorry about that. That was um, an 18-wheeler driving through the mesh holes of the most recent Curry RPA that Golden Auctions had up for sale. Um, When we have a week like this, you know, people tend to get caught up in all the drama. A lot of the facts get mixed up. A lot of people get bummed out. Just remember, there are still a lot of good things happening in the hobby. And this is not an indictment on the people that are reporting about those events. Um, I think reporting on scams has its place. I've done quite a bit of that in the past and will continue to do so. But today I want to try and balance that stuff out a little bit. So here's what I have in store. I know a lot of you have reached out to me to say you enjoy hearing about my weekly mail. You know, usually I do that in an episode. I'm going to forego that segment. 
Talk about a couple big pieces next week instead. Uh, Well, one of them I'm still bidding on, so uh, wish me luck. But I hope to talk about that one. Um, I've got a new installment of Collector Classifieds that I'm going to play for you here in a moment. And then I'm going to close today by sharing a conversation I had with Jarrett, a.k.a. Celtic Super Collector on Instagram. He spent a lot of time in this hobby and was even named Beckett's Super Collector of the Year in 2001. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. Hello from Michigan. My name is Josh. I am on Instagram as Mitten State Collector, all one word, and I PC Ben Wallace and other members of the 2004 World Champion Detroit Pistons. Of special interest to me are any low-numbered and rare cards of any of those starting five players, but especially the following Ben Wallace cards. His 2006 Topps Chrome X-Fractor, his 2008 Red Refractor, and one of his 2004 Exquisite Limited Logos. Any assistance you can provide in tracking down one of those cards would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and thank you for listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep this show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, joining me today is someone that I have a few things in common with. Number one, we're both teachers. Uh, We are both team collectors, and we like a lot of the same kind of stuff, Um, although he's met Bill Russell and I haven't, so we don't have that in common. We made a trade not too long ago where we swapped a couple of Celtics cards. You might have seen his account on Instagram at some point, where his handle is at Celtics Super Collector. Jared, how's it going, man? Hanging in there. Certainly enjoying this extra day off with the Martin Luther King celebration. So glad to be able to spend some time with you. And I'm, like I said, I'm a podcast rookie, so be easy on me. Yeah, I almost, um, actually, I was a few minutes late today and I didn't tell you the reason, but I was sorting cards. Um, I was I was going through boxes. Um, that's what I do on my day off, but it, it's been an enjoyable day nonetheless. And I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Um, I'm excited to learn more about you today. And um, I mentioned your name was Celtic Super Collector. When we made a trade and I saw that you do not live in the Boston area, um, I said to myself, I can tell from this guy's collection, he is a League Pass subscriber. Yeah, I, I watch many a game on my laptop uh, with other games or other things on the TV, you know, because my girlfriend can handle maybe a game a week, but uh, I have to kind of watch from the corner uh, my team two, three times a week. So, yeah, it's uh you don't get many Celtics games on the national TV. I'm stuck with Palestine. Now you say that, but relative to Pacers games, this there's an abundance. Um, <laughs> yes, no, the, uh, I can't imagine the the loneliness of being a Pacers <laughs> fan if you were simply relying on national television. Yeah, which is which is why the the whole league pass thing came about. My actually, my dad and I, when we moved here, we tried it. And it didn't work. You, you just can't follow them without it. So right. I know I've mentioned it on here before, though. Uh, the Pacers are miserable right now. And I'm trying to be kind here, but the Celtics certainly aren't living up to their, to their expectations. Are you like me and you're just ready to pretend like this season just uh, just didn't exist? I'm a little more forgiving. 
with with the regime change, I, I'm I'm giving Brad some time to I guess work whatever he deems necessary. And under the salary cap, obviously, um, moving players can be uh, a little more difficult and more challenging than than you would hope. So. I appreciate the fact that he was able to get out from under the Kemba Walker contract. The Al Horford pickup has been better than anticipated. I'm actually kind of sad to hear that they may let him go next year for salary cap reasons. Um, obviously, your hope would be better than 500 with the talent, the top talent that they have. But uh, I'm willing to give the head coach, a new head coach, and Brad a little more time, a little more patience on my end to uh, hopefully get this back on the right track. But there have been some, certainly some games, especially this week against Philadelphia, where um, it's been painful to watch. Right. And they come back the next night and be Chicago. So I guess that's kind of the, the MO of this year for, for Celtics. Yeah. Well, and really the, the nature of the league as a whole. So what, you know, once it comes to an actual series, I think you see the better team will still emerge. Um, although probably not our teams this year, but the good thing about your team more so than mine is it, is it has such a rich history um, that you can always lean into when things aren't looking so good in the present. I'm sure that's especially true when it comes to collecting. And I can tell that you've been doing this for a long time. So uh, there are a lot of things that I don't know about you. I'm excited to learn. Before we get too far in today, how about you give everyone an overview of your collecting history and take as much time as you need here? Okay. Well, uh, growing up, you know, I started collecting basketball cards. Um, my, my first real memory of this, and you'll kind of get a kick out of this considering you're saying, uh, was some my uncle bought me a box of 1990 hoops uh for a christmas present so as you said hoops suck but uh when you're when you're a, a seven-year-old any box is amazing so i just remember sitting on my grandma, uh, grandmother's couch and ripping through it and so i'm a i'm a sucker for that set at least as Shaq came into league i ate him up and uh, anything Shaq, and then obviously penny on the on the flip side of that when he came in the next year um so i, I guess i started out more as a player collector i was growing up in new hampshire and maine so i did root for the teams and i had you know, Larry Bird stuff and, and, and things that my, my family would buy me. But in terms of my collecting, I would Shaq Penny and then Dennis Rodman for about five or six year period there. Uh, it wasn't until the uh, the 50th anniversary celebration, which is actually kind of weird. In other words, celebrating the 75th anniversary uh, that I kind of thought about, you know, what it'd be like to maybe start collecting Celtics. They came out with a book. It was a NBA 50 book. And then they had one specifically for the Celtics. As you open up the front cover, there was a list of names of every player that ever played. Uh, it almost looks like a memorial wall, it's kind of one name after another, a little dot in between. And looking at these names going, I don't know hardly any of these. And so as I started looking them up, uh, the thought came to mind, you know, how cool would it be to have every autograph of these guys? Um, and at the time I was doing through the mail autographs, uh, I discovered Harvey Meiselman and his mm-hmm. giant book of, of a- addresses. So I started going through and highlighting uh, who was available. And had pleasant to see that, that Harvey's list had probably 150 or 200 addresses right off the bat. Uh, so I kind of switched my focus from all over the place to let's see if I send these guys uh, autograph requests and see how many answer back. And the, the first hundred happened pretty fast. It was it was actually kind of a fun, you know, you come home from school and see what came in. And some days there wouldn't be any and some days there'd be five or six in the box. So it uh, certainly helped steer me toward collecting Celtics. Around 97, we moved to Charlotte, the family. And so I, I spent some time in that area, um, which gave me some access to the Hornets and, and some other things. But uh, it wasn't until 98 when I moved back to New Hampshire where I really started getting into the Celtics and uh, really set a, a goal of trying to get all the Celtics autographs. You know, as a, as a kid, you're kind of naive to the idea, but it, it became a kind of a, a lifelong obsession that has kept me attached to the hobby 
in some form or fashion over the last 25 years. So after um, you moved back then to the area, you know, did you take any breaks at some point or what all happened? From about 98 to 2001, my obsession became trying to get into the Basketball Beckett magazine. Okay. Uh, I'll get into that a little later. So from that time, I tried to amass just about anything and everything to build a collection that would be worthy of being Super Collector of the Month. I mean, uh, the realistic expectations of being chosen Super Collector of the Year are pretty low. So from about from the last few years of my high school, you know, I'd collect cards, autographs, pictures, posters, anything that, that I could get my hands on to build a collection that you make some beautiful pictures and hope that they, they like it. Um, obviously, being back in the area, I had easier access to games. One of my teachers, Mr. Hall, who's an art teacher, became is a was a very close friend. We had a, actually had a friend named Matt Hill. And so we go to Celtics games. Uh, we went, in our pre-conversation, talked about meeting Bill Russell. We went to an autograph show. Uh, Matt was a, a very good uh, graphic artist. and He made us some stuff to get signed and caught the attention of the guys there. And, and they brought us backstage to kind of meet Bill Russell afterwards to kind of show mm-hmm. him his work. Mr. Hall and I went to a the Bill Russell re-retirement ceremony and was able to meet some players that way. And so being back home uh, gave me more access to, to be able to pick up a lot of things for the collection as I tried to build that obsession of maybe making Beckett. Back then, they were the king of the hobby. So you always wanted to kind of see if you can, can impress them, I guess. Right. And so did you have, uh, you mentioned you had Harvey's List, which is an address list for people that don't know. You had the Beckett magazine. I'm assuming you had a local card shop where those were kind of your influences at that time. Did you have anyone um, that was older than you, maybe that was into cards that kind of helped mentor you as well? Early, early on, uh, my aunt Anne and her boyfriend at the time had opened up a card shop in the New Hampshire area. Uh, And so it was fun to kind of pick their brain early on. They were the one I believe I got my first Deep Brown rookie card from. He was always a a favorite of mine. And and if I could scroll this way, I'd show you I have a wall of, I guess, 10 Deep Browns. Um, it's kind of a side collection, but early on, I kind of just through the use of Beckett. And, and then obviously as the online kicked in, you kind of do your own research mm-hmm. and my family helped in the sense of, they knew this is what I liked. And so they would buy me things for holidays and birthdays and that whatnot. But in terms of my knowledge of the hobby, for the most part, at least until the internet came, it was just kind of, uh, looking up what you can through magazines and, and books. And obviously the, the, the internet, the late nineties certainly hated that very fast, obviously, three day and other things. So Right. Yeah. It's funny. I was listening to an episode of the crossover a couple of weeks ago, and um, they were talking about why a lot of auctions end on Sunday night. And uh, someone later alerted them to the fact that, well, that's, you know, when we were bidding on desktops, that was kind of the time that you had where you weren't at school or you weren't at work. So uh, I remember those days well. And I remember writing down when auctions were going to end in a paper ledger book. But now you just set an alarm on your phone. So we're in much, much different times and and better times, I would argue, although you could, if you were diligent back then, you could really um, take advantage of that. I just didn't have the funds to take advantage of my diligence, I would say. But um, let's go back to the the Beckett Super Collector. So you mentioned you went on kind of like a three-year tear, and and I think it'd been between you were about 15 to 18 during this time where you wanted to be that Super Collector um, so you you ended up getting that in May of 2001, and then you also ended up becoming the Beckett Super Collector of the Year. So not only did you get your goal, you got in there, but yep. you, you had a little bit of staying power too. How did all of that come to fruition? I mean, you mentioned that you were accumulating this collection, but I'm, I'm sure there was some other action on your part to get their attention. Tell me a little bit more about that. 
Well, I mean, I, I had early, early on sent a, a request in or I filled out the application and, and never heard back from them. And, and looking back on it, my collection was nowhere deemed worthy, I suppose. Um, and again, right around the beginning of 2001, I had my buddy take some pictures for me, my buddy Ernie, and I sent it off. And and so, you know, you fill out the whatever you can, try to give them as much information uh, and you just kind of hope and pray, uh, I, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, my mom was a type that was very helpful in my collecting. And so when she picked up the mail, she would kind of check the Beckett before she, I would. And I specifically remember her handing me that magazine and kind of shaking her head. So I, I you know, oh, well. And so as I'm flipping through and, and, and all of a sudden I stop and I'm seeing myself and I just kind of like, well, either she's messing with me or she didn't see it. So I, it just kind of just dawned on me that this happened. I am now Super Collector of the Month. Awesome. And uh, a jolt of energy had hit. I ran around the neighborhood real quick and I came back, sat down on the couch. And she came downstairs and she's like, what's the matter with you? So I handed her the magazine. And I said, you think you better look at that again. And so there was a level of excitement of, yay, we made it. Um, so that, they that, didn't tell you before you got the magazine in your correct. mailbox? Correct. Yeah, there was no no information for, for the month, not, not, not for the Super Collector of the Month. So it definitely, like I said, between... Her kind of, like I said, at, at the time she said, I, I honestly didn't see it. So it just kind of added to the, wow, there it is, uh, uh, excitement that came with it. So this was right at the end of my senior year in high school. I went to college at New Mexico State in Las Cruces. Uh, I started working for the baseball team there. And around early September, uh, I wrote a, a update letter. Kind of, I know you guys are picking the Super Collector of the Year soon. You know, here's where I'm at now. Here's what I've added. It's kind of, I want a shot in the dark that maybe it'll help my situation. And about a month and a half, two months later, probably somewhere in November, my head coach came down the hallway and said, I have a message for you on my phone from Beckett. And the first thought was, how did, how did Beckett find me at New Mexico State in the middle of his baseball office? And then I realized I had used New Mexico State baseball letterhead to kind of make my, my letter look more official. Uh, and so I called them back and they were, the guy on the phone was pretty, I wouldn't say nonchalant, but pretty, uh, congratulations, we told you for, you know, your part of the year. And it's just like, you know, the usual kind of Hollywood, excuse me, would you say, you know, kind of thing. And so I had to kind of keep the cool while I'm talking on the phone. And and so the other, the other issue that arose from that was they were asking for more pictures. Well, heading off to college, as I'm sure you know, your room gets broken down. And so a majority of my collection got broken down into various Tupperware bins. And so as they're asking for pictures, I start to figure out how can I do this? And so I remembered that when I made Super Clerk of the Month, the little local newspaper had come in and take pictures. So my mom got in contact with them and said, do you still have these on file? And, and luckily they still had the one they used for the newspaper. I was hoping they'd have a few more because I know in the past I've seen you know full spreads of people's collections, but at least they had something to offer them uh, that I wouldn't be able to get them. Because like I said, even now, most of that paraphernalia, the posters and things are still boxed up in my parents' room, or parents' house, which I appreciate them. Holding on to because if my girlfriend ever found out how big this collection really is, I, I don't think she'd be quite thrilled. I'm I'm thankful that my mom and parents still hold on to a lot of the stuff from my childhood. Yeah, I every time I go home um, visit the parents, it's like, hey, you know, do you want to take some of this stuff with you? And my answer is not really. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, you guys have the space. Can you help me out? So yes. um, they said, well, no, you've got a house. You have space now. Um, so I'm slowly bringing some of it back with each trip. I'm I'm lucky in the sense I have 2,000 miles. I live in Texas, East Texas. And so I have 2,000 miles separating me and my parents, for better or worse. Um, and so that helps kind of, I can't bring this back on the plane. Sorry. Uh, please hold on to it. So uh, at some point, I'm sure I'll go through it and, 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 you know, a majority of the stuff when you buy as a kid, you realize later on doesn't have as much 
uh, monetary values, it does sentimental. And so uh, I might be able to part with it. Um, I mean, right now my collection is more geared on some of the higher end stuff. You know, as you, as you get older, you realize what's really more fun to collect. And so right. some of that stuff at the house, uh, at some point I'll probably part with it. Probably not worth as much as even I put into it. So, but I will say before we move on, Around the same time, you know, I, at the time I was a bit of a self-promoter. So I, when I made Super Clip of the Year, I reached out to the Celtics uh, and just said, I'm heading to this back, this game. Um, if you, uh, if there's any way I can get some sort of, you know, whatever. I was just trying to uh, parlay my, my, my five minutes of fame. And so they, they reached out. There's a gentleman by the name of, I his name was Megan Baruby. He said, we'd love to. We get your pass. We're going to interview you for our magazine. Da, da, da. And so unfortunately, I couldn't get a, a, a locker room pass because this was post 9-11. Uh, and so couldn't get in there, which he hoped to do, but they did interview me for Celtic Insider Magazine, and he was supposed to send me a couple of copies of it, which never arrived for whatever reason. So if anyone out there has either a January or February 2002 Celtic Insider Magazine in their collection that they wouldn't mind parting with, um, I'm not sure, again, not sure which month it was, but I have yet to even see the article, let alone possess it for my collection. So it was is Celtic Insider, is that like the game program or is that a separate issue? I believe it may have been slightly bigger. I think I think it may have been a monthly subscription that the, the, the team put together to put out for the bigger fans uh, at the time. So, like I said, they had done a little spread on there, and, and I the gentleman said, "Oh, we'll mail you a few copies for you know oh, that's great." And, and never whether they got lost, never okay. lost the mail, or or whether they're you know never got sent. I've never seen them, so it's been kind of a now twenty year curiosity as to exactly how they crafted that story. Right. The, the struggles of dealing with the physical world and, and physical media. Well, eventually, though, you made your way to the online collecting world, as you talked about earlier. And I, I know you dabbled a little bit with forums and Facebook. Um, you found, I was I was I was shocked and impressed that you found my my random postings throughout the throughout about a decade. So. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, they were a little bit spread out. And yep. um, so eventually, though, you have made your way to Instagram, like seemingly the rest of the hobby. You, it's kind of a necessity, right? Um, it is. But um, every time I go to your profile, and this is why I wanted part of why I wanted to have you on here, I get sucked in because there's so much depth to your posts. Um, whereas on the flip side, I get lazy sometimes. Probably I posted something today similar to this, like, hey, look at my card. Right. You know, whereas you've taken a more regimented approach to this whole social media thing. Um, I feel like that might be an extension of your collecting philosophy. And I want to learn a little bit more about that. Um, you know, every team collector is different, but what does your approach look like? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful hobby as we both know, but if you get yourself stretched too thin, um, you can miss out on a lot of things for your, I guess, main collection. So I have tried to be very regimented or, or very, disciplined and staying within what I've established for my collection. As I said, you know, the autograph started probably around 96 or 97 for the Celtics. And it was only within the last five to seven years, I started collecting graded rookie cards. Kind of dawned on me, you know, uh, as I started competing within the PSA set registry and putting together some of the higher end stuff that this would be kind of fun to, to use my database and, and try to see if I can get graded rookie cards of Celtics. Whoever, whoever had them. And so I took, a, I took a, a few weeks to kind of put together my own research to figure out that while there are maybe 450 Celtics in, in the history of, of the, the franchise, only 320 or whatever have rookie cards. So that narrowed down the search. Uh, and so I spent the last five to seven years going after great rookie cards. And so that was a, a fun 
complimentary collection to the autographs, but it kept me still within being pretty specific, uh, mm-hmm. only a certain swatch of the, of the hobby. So I didn't get stretched then. Um, and only, it was only within the last year uh, with PSA shutting down, which slowed down the PSA set and through Instagram and seeing what you guys are posting that I finally gave in and started looking at these patches, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, and so I again used the, the database I had created a third complimentary set to see, you know, which Celtic had game use patches find out there was only less than a hundred. And so that was uh, something fun that I could do over the last year. Uh, again, a third complimentary uh, avenue to collect that still kept me within Celtic uh, discipline and not stretch myself too thin. And I was really pleasantly surprised to see compared to the greedy cards, how much less expensive some of the, the great patches are. Even mm-hmm. even some of the, the high-end stuff's only going to go for four or $500 where, as I'm sure you know, some of the high-end Greater rookie cars can go for exponentially more. And I've stretched myself thin to make sure some of those were in my collection. Right. So, uh, but I, again, as far as the philosophy is, as much as I would love to have so much of what you guys post, I try to uh, enjoy them from afar while I stay within my lane and, and keep it as narrow as I can because it, it keeps me the possibility of buying things that if I'm too stretchy thin, I won't be able to afford. Yeah, and it's unfortunately, especially with team collecting, you got to make choices because... Yes. Um, there's just, you know, I could buy every card of every pacer <laughs> and I wouldn't have space for it. And I wouldn't have money for it. Right. Um, thankfully it is a team that, um, doesn't have a lot of notoriety. So maybe I could, I can, I'm sure it's easier to build a, you know, amazing pacers collection probably than Celtics. Um, at the same time though, you got a lot of amazing stuff to choose from. So yeah. I I'm assuming you probably, do you start your kind of your cutoff at the, the 46 Celtics? Where, where they kind of merged into, what was it, the BAA? Um, yeah, yep. And then they merged with the, I think, the NBL to form the NBA. But um, so that, I mean, you, you've been there the whole history of the league. So that's something that's pretty nice. It is. It's, uh, like I said, that it, I go back to that NBA 50 celebration and, and kind of opening my eyes to how far back that league had gone or, you know, the combination of leagues with the, NBA, the BAA and the NBL. Um, and so it uh, having a team that you collect that, that spans the entire history of the, of the league um, offers some different collectible opportunities that say, I guess the Pacers wouldn't um, be, right. um, get, you know, they started seventies. Is that late sixties, like, yeah, early seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it also offers our collecting pieces that are while desirable, they are certainly above most people's pay grades. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and so that's, that's, it's inciting and it's frustrating at the same time, knowing that I would love to have certain pieces, but because of the historical significance of some of them, that, that they're just not going to be an option. And there's so many other, I guess, NBA. And as you said, because so, with you being an NBA collector, you, you, you mentioned in your comments, you know, you think some, sometimes you think you're a Laker and Celtic collector for all the pieces you have in your collection that, that are that fin, finner to that mold. Uh, so there's a lot of NBA collectors that are looking for Celtics things. And then obviously a lot of Celtics collectors as well. So, um, Sometimes you have to uh, just accept the fact that, that certain things are not going to be part of your collection. Right. Yeah. That's and then like my NBA Finals PC, there's a couple Spurs collectors that I can't compete <laughs> with. They're grabbing all the nice stuff and spending premiums. And and you know what? Good for them because that's their main focus. So uh, you know, I, yeah. I try not to take too much away from them, but also grab a few little pieces here and there. You you can uh, as frustrating as it is, you can appreciate their passion. And there's right. a there's a, a Kevin Garnett collector, um, Bryce City. 
I don't know if that rings a bell. Uh, he appears to be hoarding every Kevin Garnett flawless patch mm-hmm. out there. Uh, I tried recently to see if I could work a deal with him. Uh, and after a couple of days of, of him thinking about it, he basically said, no, I can't give up any of my, my, my flawless patches, but I have this one. So I worked a deal for another Kevin Garnett patch for my collection. I don't know if you can see over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my girlfriend was kind enough to let me uh, display some patches in the she background. She gave you a there. wall. She did, and I have two walls actually on this side. Is the the, the uh, rated rookie card? So I'll send you a picture of them afterwards. I don't feel like turning this, but uh, right. you know, I'm trying to get one at least one nice one of every player that has it. Uh, and so he was kind enough to let one of his Kevin Garnett <laughs> uh, patches out of his collection. So hopefully that should come in this week. But I was I was crossing my fingers that maybe I could convince him to let go of one of his flawless patches. Unfortunately, he didn't, and, and I respect him for his. Uh, passion for his collection so as frustrating as it was yeah i can say this though you know talk to him again two years down the road you know you never know what yes. situation somebody's in or or if their collecting habits have changed i found that you know i can and i'm not the only one that does this there are a lot of people that will set reminders contact this person literally in two years <laughs> and uh because if you're in this in the long run you, you you'll see those kind of things pay off um as you have you've been in this a while um, so you mentioned that the patch thing's kind of new. The autograph yes. thing is not to you. You've been doing that forever. Uh, yes. you, you started that way back. So I feel like um, you probably have some interesting stories. I won't ask you to go through every single one, but do you have a couple autograph stories that stick out in your mind? Well, I'm going to start off with two. And I posted this really early on. So for those of you that have followed my uh, Instagram, you're going to hear about this. But there were two autographs early on that I identified as being, if I find these, then perhaps I actually have a chance at finding them all. And their names are Ward Gibson, Ward Hoot Gibson and Bob Bell. I'll kind of show you this because you're looking at me through through Zoom. And so yeah. I found- Say those names again for me real quick. Ward Hoot Gibson okay. and Bob, Bob Dahl. Okay. Ward, Ward Hoot Gibson played two games for the 49-50 Celtics and then went on to play for a few other teams. And I came across well, the, what makes him significant is he died in an auto accident in 1958. Hmm. Based off of my research, I've yet to find someone who, in the NBA, alumni who has perished anytime sooner. So unless hmm. someone can prove otherwise, it's my understanding that Ward is the first NBA player to pass. Hmm. So obviously, making his signature rare. I mean, is it desirable? No. I'm probably one of only a few that even know to even want it. But uh, when I came across a signed program, that had 16 or 17 signatures in it. One of them was that I, I was certainly willing to pay whatever it took. And I think it only cost me $120, um, which was not bad back then, but I would have gone hundreds more just knowing right. that that was there. The other one being Bob Dahl, and a, that this is a, a autograph page uh, from 19, I think 50 Celtics. The other four signatures I already had. So it was kind of easy to say that these were legit. And the fifth one at the bottom was Bob Dahl. And unfortunately, he passed away in 1959. So in my head, my thought was, if I can find these two signatures, then perhaps this is doable. Mm-hmm. Now, if we ever get to my wish list, I guess that's uh, <laughs> maybe something different. Now, as to as far as recently, you know, there have been a list of probably 15 to 20 guys that I've been looking for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, Google Google searches. Uh, I think that's how I found you. Yeah. Uh, yes, there you go. So, yeah, the posts online every once in a while, I pop up in some form and say, anyone have any help? And, of course, um, no one does. And, and you got me in contact with someone, and hopefully maybe he can give me some contacts. But the Google searches have come in handy every once in a while. I came across an article about Ed Searcy. Ed Searcy played for the 1975-76 Celtics. 
um, and he was in a chess tournament in this article uh, in one of the boroughs of New York City. And so within the article, they described one of the this home chess club that he plays at. So I looked up the chess club online, saw that there was a manager. So I emailed him and described my collection and said, I don't know if it's true or not, but in this collection, it says that he seriously plays at your chess club. And I really would appreciate it if you pass my information along to him. A couple of days later, I get um, uh, an email back from Ed, so, you know, reaching out saying, you know, I've, I don't normally sign signatures, but I appreciate your passion. And, and so send me your address. And so he sent me one or two autographs and we've actually become Facebook friends. Um, and so we converse here and there. He's, he's a, I have a, a koi fish collection in the backyard uh, as one of my side hobbies. Um, and so he collects fish as well. So we share various fish stories. Um, and so I become a Facebook friend with one of the former Celtics through uh, Google search. The other one being Al Brightman. So this is my last one. I don't get too much. The Al Brightman played for the 46-47 BAA Celtics, 58 games. Uh, and so through one of the Google searches, uh, one of his family members created a, a tribute site, something that I'd never noticed in previous ones. And so I emailed him. Uh, he sent a message on to his, his sister and they found this. Uh, it is a, a dry cleaning stick. Oh, wow. signed, signed, and so they, they felt bad. It's like, you know, I'm sorry. This is the only thing we find. And I, I, here, I'm giddy. I'm giddy as all giddy up because the guy died in 1992. I'm going, oh, that's awesome. Please send it to me. I'm, I'm excited to add it to my collection. And so it's various stories like that. You just kind of you start searching online and hoping for any kind of lead on things that you've been looking for for many, many years. And sometimes it hits and most times it doesn't, but it's still fun. Right. Kind of go looking. One of the, the darker stories of looking is as a gentleman by the name of Nate Driggers. He played for the 96 Celtics, and currently he is incarcerated in a federal prison in Minnesota mm. uh, for whatever dealings he had in Chicago. And so I sent him an autograph request because at this point he's going nowhere. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to flip a coin. Unfortunately, he got sent back to me because I was not allowed to send him uh, a self-addressed standby. Contraband. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. I can't send. So I, I'm not really sure how, how to I've do I've tried that, that before. That's, the, <laughs> that's why that sounds a little too, all too familiar to me. Oh, I, I feel a little bad, you know, it's like, you know, you don't want to take advantage of his of his uh, bad situation. But on the flip side, I, I tried to write him a nice letter and just say, you know, I've been trying to look for you for 20 something years, but unfortunately it, it didn't work out. Like uh, So perhaps I can send him the request again without self-addressed and, and see if anything comes of it. But uh, Or write uh, the family, no, maybe, if you can find them. That's, you know, every once in a while you find it. Uh, I've, I've, I found a few family members along the way that have, have been helpful and, and I appreciate what they've done uh, sending me things. Early on, I sent a letter to what I thought was one of the players and it was, but he had passed away a, preview, a couple months earlier. This is going mm -hmm. off the, the Meisselman list as I was younger and had no clue. And so the wife was nice enough to send me a couple signed checks, canceled checks. And so I sent her a Christmas card as a thank you. Uh, and so there've been many family members that have been understanding of my search and, and, and have been helpful in finding uh, deceased family members that have played for the Celtics. So I, I certainly appreciate their help. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, a, if, a lot of people that don't have this so-called collector gene, yeah. um, you know, they don't really get what we do, but it sounds like people nonetheless have been very accommodating to you, even to where they're apologizing. Sorry, we only found this one signature, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. no, I, I, like I said, I, I wish they could have seen my face when, when they sent a picture of it, because it was, when you're looking for something for 20 years and, and someone has it, you know, it doesn't matter what it's on for me. I, right. I prefer something small, flat. My love is three by fives because they're usually pretty clean, mm -hmm. easy display or easy to put in binders. They're not too big. Like I said, yeah, if they could have seen how giddy I was when they said, oh, I'm sorry, we found just this. It's like, <laughs> well, you just helped clear up 
20 years of searching. So you're, you, it was very exciting. Right. So do you have these all in a binder? I mean, you, you mentioned displaying some. So I've got three main binders, um, alphabetized A to G, H, 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 I'm talking away from me, A to G, H to O, and T to Z. And then obviously some of the, some of my autographs don't fit within a binder. So they're framed up or, or in other things like that. But the majority of them, they're within, they're held within those six binders. So okay. uh, when, when anything close happens that, I, that involves uh, tornado watches, those binders and, and a few of the, the giant PSA cards are the first thing that come with me into the uh, safe, safe room of the safe closet. Right. Because if I hate to lose it, but uh, in terms of how much time and effort I put in, those those are the ones that I'm going to try to save the most. So, uh, yeah, they're in binders. Well, they're portable. Yeah, that's good. Portable. You can flip through them. That's the big yes. thing. That's one of my struggles is I, I need I want my collection where I can actually look at it. I understand. Um, and that's a that is a multi-decade struggle that I'm still working through, but I'm getting there. So uh, I figure we can wind things down today by bringing this back to the present. Um, earlier in this conversation, I referenced this season and talked about how awful it's been in general. We won't talk anymore about the play on the court, but I'm curious to see how this affects you as a team collector and kind of fits into your philosophy of collecting. Because um, I looked it up last night, and, and for all I know, this has changed since then, but the Celtics have had 20 guys play in a game this season. I'm assuming you already had Joe Johnson checked off. I did uh, from earlier. Yes. Um, so that was nice. Uh, but let's say a, a new player signs a 10 day and plays in a game. Right. So what's your next move? Well, first thing I have to do is make sure that they actually get into a game. Unfortunately, okay. uh, some of the, you know, the guys that they signed never did play. So I'm okay. watching very, very closely. Um, like so um, they have to play a minute then. Yes. And, and okay. I, I've had a few players within my co uh, collection that I discovered later actually never played a gentleman by the name of Rashawn McLeod was on the roster for the entire year mm -hmm. uh, and then was injured, never played. So I, I kept his autograph of the, the rookie card that I bought. I'm actually going to wind up selling because again, the premise of the collection was a player who was actually playing the game. So anyways, came back this year, I've watched them, you know, you're hoping for a blowout because you generally know these guys are okay. not getting in unless you are down by a lot or up by a lot. So um, there were a couple of guys that got in. It was, it was Joe Johnson um, trying to think who the other two were. Uh, and so what I have is I, getting back to did, what I have. Did CJ, I'm sorry, didn't mean CJ Miles. CJ yeah, Miles, yeah, no, did perfect. he play? CJ Miles got in right on the same time. Uh, and so I've got a, an autograph, a couple of autograph cards already waiting within the, the eBay uh, saved, you know, auctions waiting to pounce. Uh, mm -hmm. And so as soon as they get in, I pick the one I think is the best, go ahead and scoop it up. And then I go look and start looking for graded cards, graded rookie cards. Obviously the recent uh, PSA shutdown has slowed down any people even wanting to grade a CJ Miles, so there's a good right. chance I'm I'm going to be looking for a while or having to wait to self-submit when they start taking regular orders again. But some people don't even think of it. For me, it's an exciting time because, mm -hmm. as you saw, my want list for the for the autographs is 14 names, mm -hmm. uh, 10 of which I've been looking for 25 years. So anytime they add a new player, even if they only played for a minute, they've now become a Celtic, and it gives me something else to search for to add to the collection. Uh, on, and then obviously they have a rookie card that adds to that portion of the collection. And obviously they won't have a patch unless, you know, somehow that Jersey winds up somewhere <laughs> along the line. I mean, it's, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm always surprised. Even just the other night, someone sent me a link for a Scott Redman mm -hmm. uh, game use patch. And I was pleasantly surprised and almost dumbfounded that a play by the, you know, Scott Redman was a solid NBA player, but 
20 years later, how he would have a collection of NBA patches and cards was beyond me. But obviously, I added it to my database, and I'm going to start looking for one because the listing they sent me was a bit pricey. But uh, yeah, so anytime they add these 10-day guys, for some, it's 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 frustrating because it kind of means that we're hurting, that we need mm-hmm. them that bad. But as a team collector, it's actually kind of an exciting time that adds names that I can go after. Right. Yeah, it used to be. Um, I, I kind of liked the blowout games here and there because I want to see the guys on the two-way contracts and I want to see all that. Right. Now, on the flip side, I'm seeing them every game. Uh, it's not quite as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Now, so let's say uh, there's a guy, actually, uh, an interesting thing I thought about, or at least I think it's interesting. Ennis Cantor yes. has been a Celtic. Yes. He's back with the Celtics, but yes. he changed his name, his last name to Freedom. So yes. do you have to add a Freedom autograph now, or do you? are you just like, no, I'm not going this far? I must admit I haven't thought of it. Um, I guess I'll have to pay attention to see if there's any uh, – distinct differences in his signature since he's done this um certainly i won't say i won't i guess i I, I, and it also depends on i guess what it's on and how much it is uh i i have a a canter autograph already so and many of the modern signatures as i'm sure you know have become some version of scribble so scribble uh, yeah it's 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 painful to, to to see it sometimes i I uh, when they when the Celtics signed uh, or traded for Mo Wagner last year, mm-hmm. I spent three days scrolling through some of the most ugly autographs on eBay, and no rhyme or reason either. If if you want to get a kick out of it, just Google search Mo Wagner autograph and see how inconsistent his scribble well, is. So, is. Is his just M W? So it's just kind of a squiggle, right? It's, it looks like a crown of some sort. It's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of. But there is no consistency even to the crown. So, I, I you know, um, so we'll see as far as uh, what's called him cancer again, as, as far as freedom, if he does change his autograph, uh, uh, perhaps it would be a, a fun kind of uh, extra added to it. But uh, at least I have something of him. So I, I, right. I can't say I'm going to uh, go out of my way, especially if, if, uh, if there's a premium for and it's freedom. Signature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, it would be great as as a collecting community if we could help you out. But. Uh, Jared, I've, I've had a blast talking with you today. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to promote um, your social media handles or anything else you might be working on. The next few moments here are yours. Well, thank you. Um, as, as you said, my Instagram is Celtic Super Collector. I, I will post, uh, I guess, today, tomorrow, somewhere in there, a list of names that I'm looking for uh, in terms of the autographs. Um, my Twitter handle is, is not a fort one, but if you ever come across a uh, amateur cinephile, that is me as well. So every once in a while you'll get fort one coming from one that looks like should be movies. And then you can, I, I'm on Facebook and, and, uh, any help would be great. I'm still trying to track down a, a beautiful, flawless, uh, Reggie Lewis patch. If anyone's looking to move one. And so, yeah, Celtic super collector is where you can find me. I try to get uh, two posts a day in the morning and one in the afternoon to kind of share my collection. Uh, it's been really fun to see everyone else's collection out there, uh, see who they collect. And, and obviously that's, this has kind of led to me and you discussing and talking. So I'm really excited uh, that I had the opportunity to, to join your show. Thanks again. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. I always enjoy these collector conversations and Jarrett was no exception. I think he's the first official Beckett super collector I've had on the show. So that was kind of cool too. Um, He gave all of his social handles at the end there. If you enjoyed that conversation, make sure to let him know. Um, Or maybe there was something specifically we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me. 
You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Thank you.